Welcome everyone to Finance Podcast Week and this special live stream panel, GameStop, Robinhood, and the Merry Men of Reddit, What Actually Happened, with Eric Schlein of the Intelligent Investing Podcast, Jake McClure of the Personal Wealth Coast Coach Podcast, and Rick Bloom from Rick Bloom Talks Money. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Finance Podcast Week is a week of live streamed sessions like this one with top finance podcasters and experts from around the world. We also have pre-released episodes that are exclusive on the Finance Podcast Week channel for free, and you can replay any of the panels on the Finance Podcast Week channel. Download the Podbean app and follow the Finance Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time about all of the live streams and specially released episodes of the week. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We are a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And now we'll hand it off to our host of this live stream panel, Eric Schlein from the Intelligent Investing Podcast. Take it away, Eric. Well, thank you, Norma. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you all on here. This is Eric Schlein with the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And this is also my first live stream. Uh, as well, and it is a pleasure to have uh, Rick and Jake on with me. Um, so, r r both, just both of you. So, Rick, Jake, wh wh where are you both from? Just out of curiosity. Well, thanks for uh, having me, Eric. Uh, I'm from uh, Franklin, Michigan, which is just outside of uh, Detroit, Michigan, motor capital of the world. All right, and Jake, what about you? I'm just north of Austin. Spent a lot of time in Austin, right here in Texas. Nice. Now, you are a personal wealth coach when I was looking at your bio. That's correct. Uh, I consider myself an economist and uh, we, we're uh, fee only, as I see Rick is as well, uh, investment advisor. We focus on fiduciary advice, which focuses on looking at all the risks and all of the benefits and trying to be as clear and transparent about it as we can. Uh, are we, Jake, uh, Rick, are, were you having a hard time hearing Jake there for a little bit? I'm, I'm having yeah, some connection difficulties, I think. Yeah, Jake, if you just, sorry, this is Norma Jean here. If you just want to, um, if are you on Wi-Fi? Are you connected via Wi-Fi? I'm connected Sorry, via wire, but I'm going to go and come right back in, see if we can connect again. Okay, perfect. Because sometimes if you move to your phone data, you'll get a you'll get a more consistent connection. All right. Well, Rick, in the meantime, while Jake is uh, figuring out these technical difficulties, tell us a little bit more about your practice and what you do so we all kind sure. of know a little bit more of who you are when we're talking today. So I'm, uh, I'm an attorney, certified public account, and a financial advisor. My firm is uh, Bloom Advisors. We manage nearly a billion and a half dollars. Our clients are the what we consider the mass affluent. So we are um, 
RIAs, Registered Investment Advisors, which uh, means we have a fiduciary obligation to our clients. We are a fee-only firm, which means that we never take money from anyone other than our clients because we want to uh, eliminate the uh, conflicts of interest that exist in the financial world. And our belief is that to be a successful investor, you need a successful game plan. And so what we try to do is look at clients individually, base our investment decisions upon their goals and objectives and what risk they, they want to take. Many of our clients, most of our clients, are people that worked hard for a living, um, they've accumulated some money, and they really don't know what to do with it. And that's what we try to help them. Mostly, we use mutual funds as our vehicle to implement. And of course, everything that we do is always uh, commission-free. Got it. Got it. Oh, awesome. So so let's let's go back to this GameStop debacle. So, you know, you know, GameStop went from low single digits all the way to, you know, several hundred dollars a share. You know, walk us through what that was like for you, for your firm, where clients calling, asking what's going on. What 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 was going on there at your practice specifically? During that well, it's time? funny you should say that because it wasn't clients as much as it was clients kids calling us. Asking us about uh, GameStop. And it was crazy. It, it really was. People th- thought that it was the fastest way to make a buck. We had uh, one of our clients' kids who called us who really, he doesn't work right now. He is telling me he's buying options and he's margining so he could buy more GameStop. And um, unfortunately, he was buying in at like three fifty a share. So we got a lot of calls from clients, kids, you know, people in their 20s and 30s that didn't want to miss the, the boat. And I think that's one of the things that investors always need to be afraid of is that they're fearful that they're going to miss out on an opportunity. And so they rush into things. And we always tell, you know, investors that you got to take a step back before you just rush into something. Because we don't do any homework, Eric. It really just becomes gambling. And I always say, if you're going to gamble, you do much better in Vegas than you will in the stock market. So we had lots of people that just didn't want to miss out on the opportunity. And then, of course, we had uh, some calls that clients, kids that did barge in their accounts. And all of a sudden, they're in this uh, horrible position and what they should do to get out of it. I'm Jake, sorry. Is, that, is Jake, is that you online as well now? I, I am back. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened with the internet connection, but it's better now. Jake, I'd like to say this. I'm a big believer that all technology should come with permanent 12-year-olds attached. I agree. If, if I had my six-year-old daughter, I don't think that would have happened. <laughs> I guarantee it wouldn't. uh rick i i concur with you i didn't get a lot we're we're a fee only as well we we offer fiduciary advice we're registered in the same manner that that rick was talking about and there's a lot of complexity out there and a little knowledge is dangerous Uh, i think people getting into this need to really understand what they're doing The, the whole story about gamestop is the story of new technology. And we've all experienced both the wonders and the shortfalls of technology as we've just demonstrated. Um, The idea of Reddit is amazing. I use Reddit all the time. 
I think it's fantastic. It's where most of the memes that we've ever seen come from. And even when we talk about somebody like the guy that kind of started this off on the Reddit threads back four or five years ago about GameStop, Keith Gill, um, I think you know he's he's known by a semi obscene uh, moniker. We won't say it's uh, it's deep effing value. Um, and he's supposed to be a value investor. And if you go back to the beginning of his streams, he's talking about how GameStop at $3.50 doesn't make any sense. If they go out of business right now, the shareholders will make a profit. And that is kind of the essence of, of a small-time Warren Buffett idea. But as the stock went up from $3.50 to $350, now there's only downside for the investors. This is a company that doesn't make a profit. It is not, it, it, it's, it's net worth, if you will. We call it a book value. Has been dropping consistently for years. And people that don't know any better that jump in and they think they have figured out the system, which anytime you say that, and this, this is from people who've been doing it for decades, you can never figure out the system. It, it needs to have a permanent 12-year-old attached, I think. And I, I, I agree with you, uh, Jake. I think what happens is people get caught up in the frenzy. They avoid all fundamentals. Um, you know, they, they forget that ultimately stocks have to make money. Companies have to make money. And I, I think people just ignored the fundamentals, rushed into it because they didn't want to miss out on the next Google or something of that nature. All right. This this is a company that's gone through five chief investment officers in the last two years. So this is not a company that has great potential. They're not the board isn't allowing a CEO to be there long enough to turn it around. Or they're leaving so soon afterwards because they get a better offer, or there's all kinds of reasons here. And I think, Rick, you may agree with me on this one. Um, I do a radio program as well. We do podcasts and a lot of the radio programming on the financial world is paid commercial programming. And it is basically people jumping on there and saying, buy this thing because I have it to sell and I'll make money doing it. Only they don't tell you that part. Keith Gill it, was not very clear in what he did for a living. Right. Um, he's licensed as a securities supervisor, which is a, it's called a series 24. It's somebody who intricately understands the regulations and the law well enough to supervise other people in the brokerage world. It's a for-profit industry. That's all understood. There are a lot of regulations that were put in place to protect the public because an an expert has a great deal of influence on the airwaves. If they can be exciting, if they can present ideas well, people jump on board. And Mr. Gill didn't disclose that either to his audience or to his employer, Mass Mutual. So there's a Massachusetts uh, securities division is doing an investigation now. His employment with Mass Mutual is no more. I don't think it's a lot of pain to him because he did buy this stock at $3 and 50 cents and $4 a share. And he's got tens of millions of dollars in profit today on that. If he takes it, if he takes it though, 
he runs into the complexity that the SEC might step in and say, hey, that was market manipulation. This is the classic pump and dump. You sold at a big profit after convincing a lot of people who didn't know any better to jump in. And, and they're the ones that are left holding the bag. And I well, think that's I, the thing that's most important to understand, that the little investors are usually the ones that lose out here. I agree with you, Jake, 100%. First of all, on the radio shows, I agree with you. I, I think they're bought and paid for. And most of them are nothing more than infomercials. And I think people have to be aware of that, uh, that uh, so many people can just buy a radio show and say whatever they want. Uh, and I agree. And, the, you know, Jake, you brought up the story of GameStop to me is is the little guy that got swept away and has, is taking a big hit. Um, the little guy who really just doesn't know what they're doing. And that's one of the uh, things I'm always passionate about is teaching investors to be better investors, teaching them to understand about their money, because we live in the greatest capital society in the history of the world. And they never teach us about money. That's and, right. And one of my fears is like when you have a website like Robinhood, that's almost like um, they make it like a video game to buy stock. And to me, that's somewhat scary because people are looking at this as just another video game when the consequences uh, can be much more dangerous. Yeah. No, and really? I, I'm Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Eric. Oh, no, Jake, while we just finish your point and then I'll jump in, Jake. Okay. Um, the, I, I think the, the whole concept, I mean, this isn't new. Every time we have a new technology that makes it easier to get into the market, we have a lot of people that get hurt in the process. I've got clients that were severely burned in the dot-com bust because they were just getting involved in, in technology and they thought this is the way to go. I remember when E-Trade was the Robin Hood, E-Trade coming out and saying, hey, you can do all your trading online. And this, this concept, every time there's a new way of doing trading, there, there's a, a wave of new ways of getting hurt. Uh, and there's a way, new wave of people making new money, new profitability ventures. So the balance here in regulation, one, you don't want to clamp down on the retailers, the, the little investors. We don't want to hurt them with regulations. We do want to protect them from people who are more sophisticated and maybe roping them into something that they shouldn't be in. So that that is kind of the key here. This is a classic thing. And what happened at the Reddit, the, the group at Reddit, function together kind of as one unit and in essence became a pooled investment vehicle like a mutual fund or a hedge fund only without registration and with no good communication internally each of them had to trade individually so they did it's, it's a classic short squeeze a lot of people sold stock that they didn't own that means they have to buy it back to pay back the person they borrowed it from which means if you see a lot of that happening, it it's, can be pretty smart to buy a company that isn't profitable, a company that isn't worth anything because whoever has shorted it has to buy it to pay back the loan. You could make a profit. I think the vast majority of people who were buying into GameStop, maybe even the vast majority of people listening to this right now, didn't understand what I just said. That's the danger here. What, this, is, this is not a new instrument. This is something that's been around for a long time. 
but it's complex and a little bit of knowledge about it saying, oh, it's a sure bet. It's not a sure bet unless you understand the fundamentals of what's going on in there. And that's the dangerous part. So how, guys, how would you say this is different than, you know, we, we, you were bringing up earlier, you know, there's people that do ads on the radio and they, they have other interests that other than investment advice or selling a product. How, how is this different? You know, there's people on the radio say they talk about, you know, buying gold coins, but it's not like people hear the radio ad and gold goes up a thousand percent. So can, can you guys just to break down for our listeners who may still be a little confused about the sort of fundamental dynamics of the, me- the mechanics at play, what, what took place here? Can, can you walk us through what actually happened uh, mechanically that created such a such a, a jump in, in the stock price and, and why this is different than you know other people talking about stocks in the, in the past and, and nothing really happening well i think sure. that it was a frenzy and people just got caught up in in the excitement here it was um i think it was portrayed as a david versus goliath you know mm-hmm. let's penalize the big bad hedge funds and you know, the small guy can stand up to Wall Street. And, and I think that caught momentum. And let's face facts, who doesn't like, no one likes the hedge funds. And if you can hurt them, why not? And I think people just got caught up in a frenzy. You know, you see a commercial about gold, you know, there's no real bad guy. They don't really talk about the bad guy. But on the Reddit, it was the hedge funds. And so I think in this uh, hypersensitive world that we live in, people got caught up in the emotion of that is we can penalize hedge funds. And then when you heard hedge funds losing billions of dollars, more people jumped on the bandwagon. And they didn't realize that so many of the small guys are going to take the hit on this. Because in the long run, it really wasn't a David and Goliath because too many of the small guys are going to get hurt. All right. So and I and I was would- the frenzy. Yeah, I, I would come in and say, let's kind of set the setting. It's so obvious and so right in our faces that we tend to forget it. 2020 was weird. 2021's weird. There are a lot of people who have different schedules than they've ever had in their life, whether because they're working at home or have to, uh, if they're essential, they're working weird hours elsewhere. There's a lot of money in the system right now. People that would normally go on vacations didn't spend that money this year. So it's still sitting in their accounts. Our savings rate has dropped uh, recently to 13.5%, which at any other time in the history of the United States, that's a mind-bogglingly large number. It was at 20% for a while. People were sitting at home not knowing what to do with their time. Sports was canceled. This new app is out on the phone and it's pretty cool. And they have more money in their bank account than they're used to. So it doesn't feel as valuable as it did. So they're looking around, what can we do? And you can see it in in things that in the professional world, we would normally call bubbles everywhere that aren't bubbles because there's just so much cash in the system in in cryptocurrencies and in the meme stocks. So if you think of the fact that you have this new technology, this new app, we have this new technology in our ability to communicate through Reddit. 
and talk about the same subject and find people in a, a pretty diverse niche of group, group spread all over the country and bring them all together into one spot. And they have common interests. And so they've got extra money, extra time. They're sitting there with this new app and they, they start to see the bump up. So the, the real thing that took place is that uh, there were some board members brought in. There was an earnings statement that said that they made more money than expected on the sale of game machinery. So this would be like the PlayStations uh, and so on that they're selling. Th- these are brick and mortar buildings. They're usually in the old malls and uh, they sell games, except that most people don't buy their games in the mall anymore. They download them on their computer through Valve uh, or there's now dozens of different platforms that sell games. You don't, there's not even a DVD drive on most gaming computers anymore. You don't go to a physical location to buy it. So there's a fundamental problem there. And they said, but look, there's a glowing thing. People still need to buy the PlayStation. They still need to buy whatever new uh, gaming device comes out and we can get it to them faster than Amazon. The problem was that that uptick in earnings didn't come anywhere near paying the rent on the buildings. Uh, So we had this big hop up where people go, oh, that's amazing. And then Reddit took it. And this is where the frenzy started. Rick, you're absolutely right. It was blood in the water and they felt like they were hurting the big, nasty Wall Street person. And they didn't realize that the guy that was leading the charge is technically a Wall Street person. Yeah. Now speaking, yeah, speaking of taking advantage of uh, you know things on Wall Street, why do you guys think that GameStop um, hasn't taken advantage of this themselves and, and done some kind of secondary offering? I think mm. I actually think they're going to be coming up with a secondary offering. I, I yeah. was thinking that. Why don't you think they've done it though yet? I think just the reason I think is just because the volatility that yeah. they've had so much to uh, deal with it because what's been happening. And I do believe that, you know, the SEC has been involved with this uh, and dealing with GameStop that um, they probably the federal reserve to, for uh, sure to settle down a little before they did anything. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, and I think the, uh, the regulators are looking at this and saying there's a lot going on. Additionally, all the people that made money here, I mean, if they do a reissue, that means that they're going to dilute the ownership of the existing shareholders. Uh, that that means that those that made money in this big upturn would basically wind up fronting some of this new capital going into the business. And I think if people were really in this to say, let's save GameStop, then they'd be okay with that. But I don't think that's the reason why most people got in there. So it's still a shareholder vote type thing to say whether they move forward at all once they get by the regulators. And I think most of the shareholders at this point got in to make massive amounts of money in the stock and get out. I don't even think they know how to vote through the proxy system. <laughs> I don't even think they know what the vote is. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, my, my problem is, and I agree with you, Jake, is that the great majority of people that bought GameStop stock had no idea why they were buying it. Rick, you're Other giving a little that, bit of an echo. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't. I didn't do anything different. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there, Rick. They didn't know why they were buying it. People buy things, 
and you know, and I've I get those same calls from kids of clients. Uh, and we consider ourselves a multi-generational firm. And part of what I do, part of what we focus on is education of the younger generation way before they have any money uh, to say, this is what this stuff is, because it's kind of like getting in a car on an interstate highway, your first time in the car. And that's what Robin Hood gives you the ability to do. You, I mean, I was talking to a guy just yesterday, who was saying he was getting the new Dogecoin, which is a cryptocurrency. And it's one that, you know, it's been really hot lately. And he said, so I left Robinhood. I went to this other new app that's just come out and they pay 8% interest just holding the cryptocurrency in there. I don't have to do anything. And they just pay me 8%. And all of my alarm bells in my head were going off and red flags and this guy's not a client. He thinks he's telling me about a nice, sophisticated move that he made. And it's terrifying because the, that interest payment that they're, going, they're giving, it's only as, the guarantee is only as good as the person giving the guarantee. And he didn't even know who that was. Well, and also, you know, people forget about Jake when they make investments these days. They're, ma they're forgetting about the risk. They never talk about risk. You know, when you hear about, I had a client who called me about that 8% loan too. And <laughs> when I explained to him what it was that he could actually lose his money, he was stunned. Yeah. He says, how can that be? Well, you know, I think one of the, the basic problems, Eric and, and Jake, that happens with uh, investors is investors still don't realize that if something's too good to be true, it is not true. And yeah. people do not use reasonableness. I always tell people that if something smells too good to be true, it's smelly. People have to be reasonable when it comes to investing. And they, they really don't understand risk. And it's something that I try to do at uh, seminars I give to the general public about investing is to always talk about risk. And yeah. it just seems never talked about uh, these days, some of these young people that got involved in GameStop didn't understand the risk they're taking when they margin their accounts. Well, yeah. I, I don't think. Go ahead, Eric. Sorry. Yeah, you know, it's also, you know, partly with interest rates so low, right? I mean, you know, anywhere you go, it, it, if you keep your money in a bank account, you're really not making much money. And I think people are looking, you know, to make money and looking for yield wherever they can get it. And that's where you start seeing these, you know, eight percent come on. As, uh, as Bluebell says in the the text chat, sounds scammy. Um, you know, even Charlie Munger at the Daily Journal meeting uh, recently said that you know the idea that Robinhood talks about um, that their service is free, it's not actually really free, and it's very disingenuous. Yeah. Um, where where do you see um, people either? you know, reaching for yield, taking unnecessary risk. You know, we talked about FOMO earlier and people just, you know, people, the fear of missing out. I, I would assert that there's a fear of missing out of just, right, if you don't want to hold cash in a bank account, you want to do something with it. And with interest rates, you know, with money almost free, uh, it has people do kind of asinine things. So what kind of asinine things do you see other people doing these days other than speculating on game stuff. I'll tell you one thing I had uh, uh, one client was going to do 
was going to buy CDs in an offshore bank because he wanted security. And there's probably nothing more <laughs> unsecure than using offshore banks. Um, so you're, you're right, Eric. People do irrational things in order to get higher yields. But it doesn't excuse an investor from, you know, having to take into consideration the basic fundamentals of investing, like risk. If someone's offering right. 8% in this environment, you have to recognize you're taking a substantial risk. And, and that's the thing people forget about all the time. Every investment has risk, and it's up to an investor to identify risk. The fact that interest rates are low, that does cause issues. But the solution is not to go into uh, ridiculous products that people are taking unnecessary risks. Yeah, I think uh, fear of missing out, FOMO, is highlighted here, underlined, bolded, whatever you want to do to make this stand out. It's true. People look at it and say, I need to get in. I should have done Google when it was whatever. You, know, you fill in the blank. I should have Tesla. I should have. And so they see this thing and say, I don't want to miss out on this one. So they jump in. I have a 21-month-old. He doesn't take naps sometimes because he's got FOMO going on. He doesn't want to miss out. We know he's going to be upset if he doesn't get a nap, though. So we kind of say, no, you take a nap. You need to come through. That What people are missing here is that there are different vehicles for money. There are different vehicles for transportation. If you take $50,000 to go get a new automobile and you leave in a Porsche rather than with a dump truck because you needed to haul gravel, you're not fulfilling the need that you had with that money. You can get the same, you can get an automobile for $50,000. You need to know what you're getting. It's, it's with, with savings, it's pretty clear. The word saving comes from the word safe. That doesn't mean you get a return. It's supposed to be safe. Once you get out of things that are considered safe, a bank with FDIC insurance, uh, below the FDIC limit, you you any time you get offered an any kind of interest rate that's more than that, it's being paid for a risk that you're taking. in In the academic world, it's called risk premium. Any return you make above the bank, above a risk free return, though they don't calculate meteor strikes or asteroids in that mix, so it's just risk free in the financial world. Um, any, any return you get above that is supposed to be paid for taking risk. That's why you would get paid more. If you take no risk, and, and this is the thing, you asked, what are people doing that's riskier than normal with their time, with their money, trying to avoid these low interest rates? And, and I see a, a massive spectrum of what they're doing all across the board. I mean, people that have, don't know what a cryptocurrency is, buying cryptocurrencies, going offshore because they think, well, I'll get paid more there, not understanding what's going on. And there's a, there's a, a, a great economist called Douglas North, and he, he studied things like the Gutenberg Press. What bearing does that have on today? Well, his statements, his, he wound up winning the Nobel Prize uh, after this, and he's is one of my favorites. His focus on the Gutenberg Press and other periods of time in history, the telegraph, uh, the radio, 
newspapers in general from Gutenberg all the way up, improvements there causing massive instabilities in economies not long after because all the, all the statements that say we trust this, you know, uh, 20 years ago, the news was trusted because you had just a few channels. Now there are dozens upon dozens and they're all in com- com- competition with each other because it's cheaper to do it. The fact that we're doing this podcast now, it's cheaper to get information out to the public from people who may not or may not have any expertise in what they're saying. So there's this this lag time and and Douglas North said that technology increases exponentially while bureaucracies increase incrementally. And the bureaucracies are the ones that are trying to keep the public safe. They're always going to be 80 steps behind and sometimes they're a lot more than that. So the word fake news is a truism that Douglas North talked about in the 1970s. Hey, when anybody can do it, it's easy to think that everybody's saying the wrong thing. You have to find the things that you can trust. You need to verify those things. And incidentally, verify in Latin is the root word for trust. So I just said you can trust these things and find the things that you can. It's repetitive, but that's English. So this, this concept here of who do we trust? How do I get my information that's reliable? There's not a great solution besides just doing some research, a lot of it. And you can go down the wrong rabbit hole on that. You know, I just want to add, you know, on that, Eric, you know, to me, there's two emotions and investors have to take responsibility themselves. And there's two emotions that always kill investors. It's greed and fear. And when you talk about people chasing yields, that's the greed taking over. Is they're letting, oh, I can get 8% and that's all they focus on is on the return. I would tell all investors out there, never make investment decisions based upon greed and fear. It'd be much better if you avoid those emotions. And that's why it's always important not to invest when you're emotional. You need to take a step back. And I think, again, in the GameStop situation, too many people got caught up in the frenzy. And I think, again, as uh, Jake mentioned, People are going to get caught up in, in the Bitcoin frenzy, and that's going to be a problem down the road. Yeah, and I think we you know, have... what, what you're both sharing, that it's more than ever now important for individual investors to take responsibility um, for either you know, making personal investment decisions or you know, putting their money um, with someone else with the rate of technology continuing to grow exponentially in bureaucracy as, as you guys said, uh, only growing incrementally. Um, you know, there was, even as an example, you know, slightly off topic, but speaks to the point. Are either of you familiar with, um, there's a new SEC rule coming out um, that's going to eliminate uh, bid and ask prices for certain uh, dark stocks that are OTC traded? I have read blurbs about it. I, I haven't gone to the SEC website to read the actual uh, regulatory change, though. So, so yeah, here's I, I just read uh, some press releases on it. Right. So here's an example, right, where you know you and I now with technology have access to OTC or you know what used to be the ping sheets back in the day, and 
you know, even before I'm 33. So even before my time, you know, but I hear stories where you had to call your broker and find a bid. And there was this whole long drawn out process where right now, you know, you can go and interact with brokers or, you know, another uh, financial, uh, you know, brokerage house and find OTC stocks to trade. And, you know, one of the things that's happening is due to um, the increased cost of, of regulation, a lot of these companies don't want to file financial statements and 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 pay the expenses. I, I was just talking to a CEO of a $10 million market cap company that's going dark to save $900,000 a year. Yeah. Um, and here's an example where, you know, that would be appropriate and financially appropriate for a company to do. And the SEC says, well, if you go dark, then we'll not have a bid and ask price to protect investors. But what I see is that's going to hurt investors because all that does is companies that are going dark for legitimate reasons um, now don't have a market for their stock anymore. And then companies that are going dark for fraudulent reasons, right? You go dark and then give yourself a, a 10x pay raise and, and no one gets to see it. Um, well, those companies love that there's no market because they can buy back stock for pennies on the dollar and they can also never be held accountable because they never have to file uh, with anyone. So there's an example where you have access to all these companies and the SEC is completely behind and is actually harming investors in the name of helping them. Um, you know, do you, do you guys are you guys hopeful that the SEC is going to react in an appropriate manner after this GameStop debacle, or do you think there's going to be unintended consequences? Well, I think I there's our. There, there you go ahead, Rick. You say first. I was going to say I think there will be unintended consequences. Um, I, I think that when the SEC reacts because of uh, a public outcry and they do something without really studying the problem. It tends to have unintended consequences, and we get more revisions. Uh, it gets to be more of a nightmare. On the whole, I'm not in favor of a lot of regulations um, because I think it does hurt the market. I, in this situation, I think we need new sub-regulations because I believe when you take a step back, the day traders and the short sellers have been manipulating the market, and they need to have controls on that but they need to be cautious about how they do it. And that's, I question sometimes if the SEC doesn't paint with a broad brush and then eventually they make some adjustments to that. Totally agree with that. Uh, and this, this is a, a, another kind of perspective on your question there about, do I think there's going to be unintended consequences? What do I think the SEC is going to be doing on the regulatory front? I'm going to go a bigger picture and kind of step farther back and say, our whole system is based on complexity. Uh, the, the regulators are, have this increasingly complex field of vehicles that they're trying to regulate, and they are trying to paint with a broad brush. There's no way that we'd be able to pay taxes today if we didn't have computers, because the tax code is too complex for any human to understand. The regulatory code is approaching that level, only it's not standardized in the way that the tax code is. So there's some tremendous technology opportunities here for machine learning and for AI, for programmers to start up something that says, how do we take, you know, it, it's commonly a two 
a two to eight million dollar process just to prepare for quarterly filings if you're publicly registered. That's that is just it's like if you have to do your taxes and it costs you as much to do your taxes as it does to pay the taxes. Uh, that means that this that the government is losing out on a big chunk of money that people would be able to pay that they're paying to someone to help them file rather than actually pay. Uh, when we look at the SEC, they're doing the same thing. They're looking around at how this is a bureaucracy, and they've got all of the backlog that a bureaucracy brings with it. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong here. We have amazing people at the SEC. They are they are really knights in shining armor. And I know that they get in trouble when they get into spats with Elon Musk, but they really want to protect the public. Now, I am also not in favor of overregulation. And right now, you know, my firm, a firm like our firm, when we started, could not get started today. Because the regulatory hurdles are so huge. They are massively larger than they were before. If you're talking about OTC, that's the over-the-counter market, the old pink sheets. This is, these are very much like the, most of the bond market today. There wasn't a central repository where pr- people could go to a central marketplace to say, hey, who wants to buy this? You really had to call around. It was like the old, or it was like a real estate broker trying to sell a house uh, in the OTC market. And I think what the SEC is doing by taking them dark is kind of moving it back to that that darker age when nobody knew what the bid and ask was. You actually did have to call. That leaves, and this leaves a. a if people are listening that are in, in the startup and programming world, there's a tremendous opportunity here to create a marketplace for dark uh, OTCs, to, to open that up and say, all right, let's put what data you have on here, the stuff that is already audited by a third party, let's put it out there. So, But that's new stuff. That's not stuff that's been here before. And it's, it's just another point where when technology comes along, Every time, are there unintended consequences already from GameStop? Absolutely. There's class action lawsuits out there against Mr. Gill for the people that got in and lost money. There are, uh, that's the people that didn't go to the class action lawsuit that la- lost huge amounts of money, may have been burned to the marketplace in general for the rest of their life. Uh, and we've all met people that say, no, I got in the market back in no whatever and got hurt so bad. I'm never touching that again. Well, they may have been in something like GameStop. So th- this is, if, if there's nothing else that I can give to the audience right now than this, take this home, get involved in the market in a much broader sense, be diversified, know what you're trying to accomplish, know why you would sell it before you buy it. Know what you're buying. These are all really, really fundamental principles that if you don't use, you may be burned and never want to get back into this vehicle that is what's driving our entire economy. It's why all of us get paid. Everybody in the United States gets paid because of understanding what ownership is. And if you don't understand what ownership is, you probably shouldn't own. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Hey, Jake, I'll just add in. 
you know, there's been over 30 class action lawsuits filed in the GameStop situation already. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and I'm sure there's uh, more to come. And I just want to add, Eric, I agree with Jake. I think people that when they invest, they have to get back to the fundamentals. I always tell investors, uh, investing is sort of like planning a vacation. Mm. You don't pack your clothes before you decide where you're going and what you're going to do. And so many times investors focus on, should I buy GameStop? Should I buy Apple? And that's really not the right question. It's, does it fit into my portfolio? What are my goals and objectives? And people have to get back to the basics and never forget, you know, you have to look at yourself honestly from a risk standpoint. Um, I think investors would be much more successful if they got back to the old uh, way of investing and sort of follow the Warren Buffett method of, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market that's going to make someone successful. That's right. Right. What what is what has most surprised you guys from from all of this with, with GameStop and the frenzy with you know some of the other names that have uh, had short squeezes? You know one of the things that, that really surprised me What's that? was how fast you know GameStop took off and the number of retail investors that, uh, you know, followed social media that bought into the stock, you know, because of the frenzy. That really surprised me, the number of, uh, you know, retail investors that went into the market. Hmm. Now, I, I think what surprises me, and it tends to surprise me every time, is that we're still surprised by it. that this is human nature uh and it's writ large anytime we have something new and exciting and a new generation coming in with new technology we make the same mistakes again and the fact that we had the media frenzy about this this is i mean you can go back to the dutch tulip bubble where tulips were the thing that was the GameStop. Uh, well, you can look at coins. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and this, the thought of, you know, uh, the emu and ostrich craze of, of the early two thousands where everybody said low cholesterol eggs. And look, you can make five omelets from one ostrich egg. And then it turned into somehow you were buying an ostrich egg for $5,000. That's an expensive omelet. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that's the fundamental aspect. We keep coming back to this. People see it going up, so they jump on. And then they see it going down, so they jump off, which is the opposite of buy low, sell high. Uh, but it's, it, we're hardwired to do it that way. If our ancestors, wherever they were, were running around out chasing the animals and all the animals left and it stopped raining, starting to go into a drought, if they had said, oh, it's a good time to invest, they wouldn't have survived to be our ancestors. So we're hardwired to do it wrong. That's an environment that is not in our heads. This is a physical world that we're all hardwired to, to, to make our decisions on. Hey, if that dump truck is going fast, it's going to take a long time to stop. And the market, it can turn around and go the other direction. There's no, I mean, people talk about momentum investing. That would cause everything in the company to shatter and fall everywhere if there was real momentum. So we've got to have a different lens to look at this through to say, this is about behavior, not about a physical environment. 
And, but, and we're in that behavioral aspect again, where people are shocked that, hey, this can turn around as fast as it was going up and go the other way faster. There's no G-forces. There, you didn't experience whiplash except emotionally. And maybe for the rest of your life, you're going to have a sore emotional neck. But, but you uh, know, Jake, I, I, I think it fundamentally comes down to is that we never educate people about investing. Right. I mean, if you think about it, I, I'm a big believer. And when I give talks in front of uh, high school principals and things of that nature, I always tell them from the day a kid goes to school, they should start teaching personal finance so that when they graduate high school, they have a good idea. No one really teaches fundamentals of investing at a young age. And yeah. so people pick up, they think investing is no different than gambling. And I think that it, it, we're not going to have fundamental changes until we get serious about teaching personal finance, teaching investment to everyone at a very young age. I agree with that. I think the, the most commonly taught education on the marketplace is sometime in high school, there's a class where the, the teacher says, we're going to have a contest over the next six weeks. Whoever makes the most money in the market with this fictional money is the winner. Exactly and, right. That's exactly right. And, and, and the other problem is you have, when they teach some of these high school classes, the, uh, the people that are teaching them uh, really don't have the fundamentals. I'll tell you a story I ran into a few years ago. I got asked to speak to a high school graduating class about personal finance. So I was telling the students the importance of balancing your checkbook, the whole bit. And the teacher raised her hand <laughs> and says to me, well, why don't you tell them to get a checking account that you can't balance a check? So I said, you know, got to make the teacher look good. You know, you get overdraft protection on checking accounts, but it gets to be very expensive mm -hmm. if you overdraw a check. And then she says to me, no, I don't have overdraft protection. I have a checking account that you cannot balance a check. And I, you know, I said, well, I'm not familiar with that type of account. And she says, I could prove it to you. I said, really? How? She goes, well, when I got my checking account, they gave me 250 checks and I haven't used them all. So how can I balance a check? Wow. Um, wow. Fundamentally, we do not have, you know, uh, the knowledge uh, on personal finance, which we should. And that right. was scary to me, but um, if, if you see that stuff a lot. I yeah. think, Eric, the way to, you know, if, if people get educated about investing, I don't care if you have a high school education, you got uh, more master's degrees, you have to devote some time to educating yourself about investing, learn about it before you start jumping in. Investing, you can be very successful if you put the time in ahead of time. Don't to fall for these frenzies. T totally. Um, you know, we've we've gone through a lot. You know, we've talked about GameStop. We've talked about the fear of missing out. We've talked about, you know, these low interest rate environments and the environment of 2020 that, you know, at least perpetuated some of this frenzy. Is there anything you think that we haven't discussed or that I haven't brought up that, that you know, you, you think you have some valuable insights to before we uh, wrap up? No, I think you did a great job of uh, hitting on, uh, you know, most things, Eric. The one thing I would tell people 
is the GameStop Please. situation is not over yet. Um, you know, the stock is still pretty uh, uh, hefty at this point in time. And investors need to be cautious about jumping in on it again. Because when I look at the stock today, I look at it and I can't figure out why it's still so high based upon its earnings. And so I question whether it's still artificially being kept high. So I would warn investors about jumping into uh, GameStop at this situ- at this point in time. And I would I would even spread that warning broader. The, typically in our system, if we look at all the bank accounts, all the CDs, all the money market accounts, that's called the M2. We re- we generally run around eleven trillion dollars in the system. And that's a high level historically. We've never been up there before. We're now running at $14 trillion. There is a significant amount of extra cash sitting in the system looking for places to go that get a better return than the bank. This could go on for several years. We could be talking about things like GameStop for several years, long enough that people are going to point at us and say, Hey, didn't you say this last year? You're just warning us to stay out of the market or whatever. The fundamental reality is that eventually people come back to wanting to own something that's making a profit, that's actually paying some earnings. If they're in it to own, if they're in it to trade, that's a smaller percentage of the market. It's a pretty small percentage of the market, and it shouldn't be the one that new investors go to first. So understand what ownership is, understand why you want to own it, not because of the price, but because of what it's doing. And, and I think that, and then be broadly diversified, especially when you're starting. Because I, I know people say you can take more risks when you're younger. When you get in, take some risks, even take some of your money and do stuff like GameStop, but make sure it's a small part. Use it as the learning stuff and stay safe with the rest. Stay broad if you're in the market. Get diversified. Don't take a lot of risks. Understand the risks before you take them. And I think those, I don't think that you missed that. I think that's what we've been saying for the last hour. I think you've done I a great job. Thank you, Eric. Eric, I'll yeah. just add one thing that. Please, uh, go ahead. Uh, when. Uh, Sorry, guys. Um, I just, this is Norma Jean from the Podbean team. We're just going to have to wrap it up in about one minute. Um, so I'll read the intro. Just please finish up your sentences, and then we're going to hop on to the next panel. I'll just Thanks, say Norma. one thing all investors should realize that risk is a function of time. Totally. Well, on that note, uh, we'll wrap it up. And Norma, I'll give it back to you. Thanks so much, Eric. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for this live stream. Special panel, GameStop, Robinhood, and the Merry Men of Reddit. What actually happened with Eric Schlein of the Intelligent Investing Podcast, Jake McClure of the Personal Wealth Coach Coach Podcast, and Rick Bloom from Rick Bloom Talks Money. If you joined late or want to have another listen to these amazing podcasts and experts, you can replay this panel on the Finance Podcast Week channel. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We are a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for the session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. 
Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcast constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Big thank you to Eric, Jake, and Rick for joining us. We're all going to hop over to our next panel right now, personal finance and the pandemic. So thank you everyone for joining us for this panel for Finance Podcast Week.